If I can get a show of hands, how many of you have been uh, to the Grand Canyon? Just raise your hand. Ah, oh, that's great. Uh, how many of you, when you came back, tried to explain what it looked like and had a difficult time doing that? You took your pictures out and you showed them and people just kind of looked at it and, and you said, well, you really had to be there. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's sort of the way I feel right now. Um, because as we talk about the church, what has taken place this past year and as we move forward to this next year, it is like almost describing the Grand Canyon because God has been so good to our church. And, uh, and if I can just speak as a pastor, I'm so proud of our people, for you, our people, and the way that you have uh, taken seriously what it means to be live sent. We have a mission statement of our church, and that is that we are sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. Sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. And it's more than just a, a statement. It's not just a motto. It's just not a slogan. But it, it gives us something to aim our lives towards. That we are need to be, we need to be transformed people. We need to be sent. We need to influence our world for Christ. And so I think that every year we need to periodically ask the question, so how am I doing? For a church... It's made up of individuals. In order for a church to carry out the mission that it's called to do, it means the individual members have to be doing what God's called them to do. And so there's a time where you just need to stop, sit back, and say, so how am I doing? We do this every year, hopefully, from a health standpoint, where physically you go, you get a checkup, and when you get a checkup, they, they run, they check the lipids, they do the stress test, they check your heart, and your doctor will usually always ask you that question. So how are you doing? How are you feeling? And the way you give those answers plus what comes back from those tests, he's able to put together a plan so that you can move towards even better health for the next year. We do this financially. Ask ourselves the question, so how are we doing? You take a look at your budget and say, are we keeping within our budget? Or for some people, you said, hey, maybe this is the year we put together a budget. You take a look at your goals, your financial goals, and we're going to be saving for a house or saving for a car, saving for a college education, or maybe to adopt a child, or or maybe saving for retirement. But you check and see, how am I doing? And then once you check and see how you're doing, you then begin to make the adjustments necessary to meet those particular goals. We also should do it in our relationships and our marriages to where we sit down with our spouse and say, so how are we doing? Are we spending the time together? Are we, are we doing what is necessary in order to have a God-honoring marriage? And when you identify those things, hopefully there's some minor tweaks that can be made. And in some instances, there may be some major changes that need to be made. But you do it for one purpose, and that is so that we can have a God-honoring marriage and we're going to move in that particular direction. So just as you do those things physically and financially in your marriage, you should also do those things spiritually. To where it's like between you and God and you ask him the question, you say, so Lord, how am I doing? How am I doing? And when we take a look at, um, uh, at a mission statement of sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ, I think every one of us needs to ask, so how am I doing with that? In 2016, we introduced uh, something called measures. And in fact, you should have a card that you received in the worship guide. And it says, live sent. And then on the back of it, it has six questions. And the measures we have are based on six 
questions. And what I'd like for us to do today is we're going to walk through those six questions. And I'd love you just to take some notes that you could hold on to and use that as a sort of a, a north star, a guiding star to get you to where you need to be this next year of walking with God, of being a transformed person who's been sent by God to influence their world for Christ. The very first measure is this, have I met with God today? Have I met with God today? Now, out of all of this, the key word to me is the word met. Have I met with God today? I'm talking about when you meet with someone. This is different than emailing, texting, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. I'm talking about face-to-face meeting. And there's a difference when you meet someone face-to-face. Because once you get into a conversation with them, all of a sudden, you've got all the, the, the different uh, physical senses. You're hearing them. You can touch them. Uh, you can see their facial reactions and how they're responding. And when you walk away from that, you feel like you've got a better understanding of who they are, which is a whole lot different than just when you text message back and forth. And you see, when we think about our relationship with God and we say, have I met with God today? We, we kind of treat him almost like a text message, almost like a checking a box. I went to Sunday school, check that box. I went to church, check that box. I, I read a devotional, check that box. I, I read the Bible, check that box. Now, every one of those things are good, and we need to continue to do those things. But you see, the key is not just the time, but it is the focus. How are you focusing on God? It's not that you've read about God or you've heard about God. It is that you really meet with God. And so it's not about just I set aside 30 minutes. It's what was the focus during those 30 minutes? Did you really focus on God while you were going through that time of reading scripture, Sunday school lesson, when you're singing praises in church, when you're listening to the sermon, all of these things, was there that focus on God? Have I met with God today. And you know the difference. You know the difference of when you just texted somebody versus when you had a face-to-face meeting with them, shook a hand, hug a neck, and walked away. There's a different feeling of that. And there's a different feeling of when I just glance to God or when I really meet with God. When you meet with God, two things will happen. Number one, it'll deepen your relationship with him. It'll deepen your relationship with God. And once you meet with him, you begin to hear his heart and understand his heart. It deepens that relationship. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So when I'm reading God's word, all these things are happening. And as I'm meeting with God, I'm hearing his heart, understanding his heart, and he's making these changes in my life. And it says, and for training in righteousness. That word training is a word that's used for disciplining children. It's for parents that have sat down to discipline their children so that they would develop Christian character. This word, training in righteousness, means that when I meet with God, it deepens my relationship with him. And as it deepens my relationship, I am being trained to live a life of righteousness, But see, once I've done that, it will then overflow good works towards others. Whenever you deepen your relationship with God, the result should be an overflow of good works towards others. And he says, he continues in that passage, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3 and verse 17, it says that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. He may be competent and equipped. You take those two words, competent and equipped, it means to be fit, to be in shape, to be in good condition. 
And so when I deepen my relationship with God, I am now in good condition, ready to do any work that God has called me to do. And so when I'm looking at the, at the, the measures, the very first question I need to ask is, have I met with God today? May you this year set your goal of saying, you know, I want to meet with God every day. I want that measure to be true in my life. Have I met with God today? So how are you doing on that? Number two is this, am I giving or taking? Am I giving or taking? My experience in life is there are two types of people. They're givers and they're takers. The givers, ah, the givers are the people that are generous in their resources, generous in their time. Uh, people that are sacrificial, people that are willing to give for others, uh, people that will give you encouragement and they're willing to sacrifice to help you out. They're just giving, giving, giving. I just love to be around people that, that give. Not that they'll give me something, but just their infectiousness of, of their encouragement and how they're willing to give and to give of their time. But then they're takers, Ah, the takers. The takers, on the other hand, are the people that are stingy with their resources and they're stingy with their time. Their focus is more on themselves and they're the people that you know they're constantly taking from you and never giving anything back. They don't have any regard for your schedule. They don't have any regard for your needs. It's all about them. And in fact, if I put it in one phrase, they are joy suckers. They will just suck the joy out of your life on there. And you know who they are. <laughs> Some of them are sitting around you, so be a little careful. Don't look around. <clears throat> joy suckers. You know who they are. And when you get home and you're driving in the car and you're talking to your friend or your spouse, you'll say, hey, he was talking about, you know the name. You got to ask yourself the question, am I a giver or a taker? Where do I fall in over there? Well, if we want to be a giver, there's two things we need to keep in mind. Number one, the foundation of giving is grace. The foundation of giving is grace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is talking about uh, raising this offering for the church in Jerusalem. And, and as he's talking about this giving, he comes to verse 9, and he really sets a foundation for it. And this is what it says in verse 9. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. The ultimate giver right here is Jesus. Jesus, the proprietor of heaven, the creator of the world, stepped out of heaven onto earth. And when he stepped onto earth, he came and he said, I'm willing to die on the cross for your sins and to give you salvation and to let you be an heir of all things. And so God giving us this amazing gift of grace to know that he has died for our sins and then he turns around and offers us the opportunity to come into a right relationship with God by receiving him into our life. It's called grace. Every one of us, because of our sins, are destined to die and spend eternity separated from God. But because of God's grace, we have the opportunity to come into a right relationship with him. And so what Paul is talking about here, it was for the grace of God. And so as he's talking about people giving and, and taking up an offering to help the needs of those in Jerusalem, he comes right in and talks about the grace, the grace of God. You see, giving is not a way of showing God how much we can do for him, but it's a way of illustrating how much God has done for us. You see, we don't give, whether it be finances of our time, just so we can puff up and say, hey, God, look what I can do for you. No. When we give of our resources and of our time, it is because we illustrate how much God has done for us. 
It is because of the grace of God I, in turn, want to give to him. And whether it be finances or whether it be to give my time, I want to give of him. We love because he first loved us. We give because he first gave to us. It always starts with God's grace. So you're a giver or are you a taker? But let me tell you the second thing, and that is you give of yourself first, and then it will overflow with generosity. You give of yourself first, and then it will overflow with generosity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, this is the way he starts this, this chapter, verses 1 through 5. He says, we want you to know, he's talking right into the Corinthians, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Did you see that? They had an abundance of joy, and even though they were in extreme poverty, there was an overflow of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God, to us. They gave themselves first to the Lord. We didn't even expect this. This is the poorest of the poor, and they're begging us to take an offering. And they gave of themselves first. And so once they gave of themselves first, then all of a sudden there was this abundance of joy and overflowing generosity. Now I put it in just a, uh, just like a linear statement over here to hopefully be easy for you to see. First of all, what they did, you embrace the grace of God. Once you embrace the God, grace of God, it then moves to an abundance of joy. And once you get the abundance of joy, it then leads to an overflow of generosity. Grace leads to joy, leads to generosity. And so if you're trying to figure out if you're a giver or a taker, if you'll go back to ground zero at the very beginning and understand and embrace the grace of God. And once you've understood God's grace, that should result in an abundance of joy. And once you get the abundance of joy, the response should be an overflowing of generosity because you're doing because of what God has done for you. Now, in 2017, we did an incredible job giving of finances, but I need to also tell you that we did an amazing job of sharing our time and our skills and our talents. We were sitting in a staff meeting uh, earlier this, uh, around the 1st of December, I think, or end of November. Cynthia Moss, uh, one of our children's staff members, just shared. She said, hey, can I just share with you uh, what our uh, MIT, our, our children, are, are doing on Wednesday night? And she said uh, they packed 165 food bags for children in local schools who were considered to be at food risk over the weekend. To where what happens is the schools have got feeding programs to help children who are at risk Monday through Friday, but what happens when they go home for the weekends? And so our kids packed 165 bags to do that. And then she said, oh, and by the way, they made 482 30-day supply packs of children's multivitamins for children in a village in Guatemala. That just kind of blew me away. I said, really? I didn't have any idea that our kids were doing that. And so then we began to talk and other people began to share some stuff. So Scott Heath and I got together and said, tell everybody to put together uh, their live sent sheet. And I want them just to go back over their ministry and write out what lay people have done and what they've done through their particular area of responsibility. And, um, and let's see what we got. They put it together. It was a 16-page document, 12-point uh, type. A lot of it was uh, just was single space. And uh, so I want to read that to you. 
<laughs> Let me tell you what I would like to do. I want to scroll it for you. And uh, so I've asked David, I said, just scroll this document. And just to let you know that this really is, this is on and on and on, 16 pages worth of what you as members have done on Live Sin. It's everything from packing bags for food to people going on mission trips to hand-in-hand uh, -hand starting support groups to down there at the Community Life Center uh, for sharing the gospel with 410 kids representing 288 families. Uh, vast majority of those, not even members uh, of, our, of our church. Uh, it includes stories of a junior high girl who was baptized uh, at the beginning of last year and got so excited about her faith that uh, she went on her Instagram and would do like a five-minute gospel presentation and will send it out to 1,100 followers on her Instagram and constantly be doing that. It's other kids that are sending, putting notes of encouragement on their Instagram and, and, and for other kids to be able to see that. It's senior adults going out 20 times during the year, the Jubilee Singers, to sing at nursing homes and, and to bring uh, some, some joy and comfort to the people that are there. And it just goes on and on and on of people who've made decisions for Christ and now all of a sudden their lives are being transformed and, and you begin to see the way they've grown in their discipleship. And it's, it's members of all shapes and sizes, all different ages in our congregation that are just pouring in and helping others. It's a couple in this church that have not been of members too long who their house burned during the Christmas holidays. And to see the church members surround them and not only financially help them, but even people uh, came up with three different houses they were offering for them to be able to try to move in. And so they were able to move into a house until they could get everything squared away at their other property. And these, the stories just go, it's amazing. And it just goes on and on. And you see, you ask yourself, am I a giver or am I a taker? And when you're a giver, it will overflow in generosity. And it always starts with the grace of God. And so you've got to ask yourself, am I selfishly holding on or am I giving generously? Number three, who are my 2 a.m. friends? The third measure is who are my 2 a.m. friends. When we come up with a statement called my circle of friends, it really looks more like a triangle than a circle. Because when you think about who your friends are, there is a, if you took a, an idea of a triangle, at the base there are the acquaintances, the hundreds of people that you interact with throughout the year. And then in the middle portion, there's that group of friends that you really know their names and, and you do see them uh, and speak to them throughout the year. But then at the very top, there's that everything I've heard, everything from one to seven of your closest friends, the one to seven people, the people that, um, that you would describe your closest. But then I would ask, ask you this question, how many of those would you describe as a 2 a.m. friend? The one that you can call in the most desperate of times who understands you, who will listen to you, who will not judge you, but at the same time be honest with you and shoot you straight. I listened to a mother of a teenage daughter said that she has tons of Instagram friends, but she has no friends. I've heard it about men that the tr truth of most men is they could recruit six pallbearers for their funeral, but few men have a friend they could call at 2 a.m. And a lot of us can fall into that. We're in such a digital society where we think we've got all these people that are friends, but when it comes to the 2 a.m. call, we have no idea who to call. So this year, one of the measures, who are my 2 a.m. friends? Identify who that 2 a.m. friend would be. 
We just finished a study in the book of Colossians, and we came to the last message of that at the end of chapter four, and Paul lists all these different people. They were 2 a.m. friends. Aristarchus, Epaphras, Mark, Luke, these guys who'd been with him through the dangers and through the good times and the difficult times, those are the guys that he could count on there. And it gives us a challenge to say, we need to have those 2 a.m. friends. Proverbs 17, 17 says this, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. We need those friends that when adversity comes, we can go to them and they'll be honest with us. They'll love us for just who we are. And no matter what we tell them, it's not a matter that they'll all of a sudden say, ooh, I'm so disappointed. You don't want anything to do with you. No, there'll be ones that will come and they'll love on you, but they'll also be real honest with you. And if you messed up, they'll tell you you messed up. And then what they'll do is they'll take biblical guidelines and help you to begin to move and to progress and to continue on in a journey of serving the Lord. Who are my 2 a.m. friends? Number four, the fourth measure is, is my passport current? Is my passport current? Now, this is an easy question to remember. What it is really saying is, am I in a position to respond to God's call? Am I in a position to respond to God's call? It's not just for international trips. It is, is my passport current? Means, am I in a position to respond to God's call? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21 says this. He says, if you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. What he says there is your life will be clean and your passport will be current. Your life will be clean and your passport will be current. Keep yourself pure. All right? Goes back to that righteous living. I'm living for Christ. I'm, I'm living according to what God's word has called me to do. And he says, and when that happens, your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use for every good work. You are ready. You're in a state of readiness. You say, well, how do I get in a state of readiness? You need to get in a state of readiness that you can even start looking at your finances. It's sad, but I know there are people sitting in this congregation, and I rub shoulders with people constantly who said, I really believe that God is wanting me to do this, but because I am so far and deep in debt, there's no way I can do that. So maybe a part of the readiness for 2018 is financially for you to get to a point to where you get out of debt and you've got flexibility in finances to where if God says move, you can move. God says be a part of this, you can be a part of that. It could be your finances. Uh, it could be relationships. It could be that, that there's some people that you just need to um, uh, restore some relationships. People that you need to ask for forgiveness or grant forgiveness. And then all of a sudden, as that relationship is stronger, then God's ready to be able to, to use you again. It could be your attitude. You know, Some people walk around with such a nasty attitude, and then you wonder, and say, why don't God use me? I said, he don't want to use you. <laughs> Where is he going to put you uh, over here? You know, some it could just be some attitude adjustments along the way. Some it could even be health. Now, there's some health situations that some of us cannot, uh, can, uh, that we have nothing to do with, uh, particular illnesses or disabilities, and then we're living through that. But then for the vast majority, it's just a matter of staying fit. And if I could be in shape, then I would be ready for God says, you need to go do this. And then you say, I'm ready to do it. I can do this. All right. Listen, when God presents an opportunity, the only way you'll be able to move on it is if your passport is 
current. You got to be in a state of readiness and say, God, I'm ready to go. Now, let me tell you what, what we did this, this past year. Our going numbers, if I can put it that way, for our, our mission trips, both uh, here in North America and also international. We had 36 projects from our church, mission projects from our church, that uh, 14 of them were international and 22 were local North America projects. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. This is a really low number because our Sunday school classes do so many projects that, that many times we don't even know about. But just from what we've got, uh, these local projects, 36, and then 27 separate individual projects. That means there's some members of our church that get with other organizations and go on mission trips. And so 25 of those were international, two were local North American projects. When you add it all together, this is how many people went. International, we had 177 people travel on international mission trips, 1,225, a total of 1,400 people. So we have 1,400 people that are traveling on mission trips that were live sent that said, I'm going to North America or I'm going international and I'm taking out of my time and my resources to do this. 1,402 people going. And see, we've got both people giving and we've also got people going. So now for us and the North American Mission Board, uh, we uh, came up uh, a year ago with our vision, when we talked about LiveScent, and one of the things was that we wanted to work with North American Mission Board in planning churches uh, around North America. So let me see that first sign that we have. Uh, there are what's called 32 send cities, S-E-N-D, send cities, 32 send cities. 85% of population lives in uh, in the major cities of, the, of North America. And so if you reach the cities, then you can reach the nation. And you see them listed. They broke them into five different regions. Our commitment is that we will always be planning, working with church planners in all five regions. We'll do a partnership. It may last five years. When one partnership ends, then we're going to pick up another one. We will always keep rotating to where we've got something happening in all five regions. Let me just tell you where we are. In 2017 on that, these are church plants that we supported. First of all, we had Miami. Had two church plants we were supporting in Miami. Then we had uh, New York City. We've got like five church plants that we're working with up there. Then Toronto with Mike Hauser, that church plant. And then also in Indianapolis uh, that uh, is new that we have begun to do some work with, and then also in Tucson, Arizona. And so these are the church plants we supported in 2017, and we still have partnerships with them. Well, in 2018, as we began to meet more people, we're starting to add some. We've got um, uh, Washington, D.C., 2018. Uh, this is the couple that was with us, Greg and Grace Gibson. They were with us at GIC, and we sent a team to work with them. We felt good, and so Veritas Church is a church that's uh, part of uh, the group that we're supporting. Then uh, next, we go up to Montreal, and I did not look back over my notes as to how to pronounce his name because it is David, and it's either Pochier, Pochier, I was in a meeting, they announced it, they introduced him three different ways. Uh, but this guy from La Chapelle, I do know that, uh, there in Montreal, Canada, is an unbelievable story. If I was not even thinking coming to church next week, I'd come next week because I'm going to tell his story, okay? So we're going to hear a little bit about David Chappelle. He's going to be with us at GIC. Incredible. The darkest city in, in, uh, uh, in Canada has now got a ray of light that is blowing everybody away. It's just no one can understand what's happening. It's just a God thing on there. See, I'd want to come back next week just to hear that. that that's just me. Okay. So then uh, the next is that these are the, th are the three church plants. 
so far that we know that we're working with. Oh, and then Queens, New York. We got another church plant in Queens, New York. New York. It's the Journey Church, and Mike Cooper is the pastor of that. And uh, we're hoping he's going to be with us at GIC. And so uh, those are some new ones that we'll be working with. So those are some of the church plants that we're doing. Every region, we're making sure that we're staying in every region. But then our goal was with Send Cities is that we would do ministry in all 32 Send Cities within five or plus years. Now, that's a tall order, but we're going we're gonna to go for it. Uh, in 2017, the cities we've already covered, we've had work. This is where, when I say support, it means we've got boots on the ground. We have taken a trip. We've gone there, and, uh, or else we have somebody working there from our church. We've been to Miami. We've been to Washington, D.C. We sent a lot of people up there to New York. We've also been in Toronto. We've also been in Indianapolis. Uh, we have been in Columbus, and we're going to talk about Columbus in just a second. This is where uh, uh, the Andrews family went to Columbus. You remember they packed up and they moved and uh, I sent him an email. He's not responding back to him because I laughed because if you remember in the video, his wife said, I cannot believe that as an Alabama fan, God is sending me to Buckeye country, sending me to Ohio State. So I sent him a note and I said, yikes, since Ohio State feels like they got snubbed out of the playoffs and Alabama's in there, how are you doing? I said, we have changed you in live sent and said you are in a uh, persecuted people group uh, up there uh, in Columbus. So we really want to pray for them uh, over there. But their church right now, right now at 10 o'clock, they're kicking off. It's their launch service. Their launch service. They're in Westerville, Ohio. And our couple is a major part of that. Lay people working there, but supporting that church planner. And we sent them there and we're thrilled about that. And then Tucson, Arizona is also a city that we uh, did a trip and took some people there too. So those are the cities that we supported. Now, what's going to happen in 2018? Well, already we have plans for Montreal. We will be sending a team up there to see what's incredible happening up there. So you want to be a part of that. And also we've got trips signed for Baltimore. Now, there are two other cities that we're in the process of, of working through, and one of those is Detroit, and the other one is Atlanta. And uh, we know of some church plants that are happening there, and we're going to try to uh, put some efforts together and get some boots on the ground and help that. So this is, this is what we do, okay? This is a part of what we do as a church. Is your passport current? I asked Jeremy, I said, uh, he just came back from Spain. And I said, can you give me an illustration of somebody having to have their passport current? He says, yeah, this trip right here. He promoted the trip to Spain uh, for months, and he had two people signed up. Live since Sunday in September, he stood before you and he said, hey, I've, we've really got to have some additional people to go to Spain because we're ministering uh, to uh, missionaries that are over there. And at the end of that service, five people came up and said, we'll go. We'll go. Why did, could they do that? Because their passport was current. They were ready. There was a readiness. Hey, we, we'll sign up. We'll go. I know it's just a couple months from now but we'll get after it. That's what I'm talking about. Is your passport current? Are you ready uh, to, be, to be going wherever God sends you to go? All right, fifth measure is this, and that is, am I close to someone far from God? Am I close to someone far from God? Many times we get in our own Christian bubble and we just don't know anybody that's far from God. So he says, Danny, so how do I, what do I do with this? Two things. Number one, care about people the same way that Christ cares about people. You care about people the same way Christ cares about people. Remember in Matthew, Matthew 9, we talked about this a number of times, is that Jesus looked out and he saw the multitudes and he had compassion in his heart and he saw them as shepherdless sheep. He saw them as shepherdless sheep. They were people that needed a shepherd. 
And then he looked out and he said that the fields are white unto harvest, need to get out there and let's go get them. Pray for laborers and then go yourself. But he had a compassion for people. We need to care for people the way that Christ cares for people and begin to build that relationship. And that's the second point. And the second point is to build relationships with people who are not connected to God. Build relationships with people who are not connected to God. Now, the Apostle Paul, I love, uh, I love the way he's, what he writes in Philippians. Now, Philippians chapter one, he is in jail, okay? He's house arrest, and he has a, um, a soldier that's chained to him uh, like 24-7. And this is what he writes. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I'm in prison. We're serving, it's advancing the gospel. So that has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. The imperial guard, these are the people that guard Paul. He said, it's been known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now, the cool thing is, is while he's in house arrest, someone is chained to him, and that one that's chained to him has to listen to Paul as he pins his letters to the, to the church at Colossae, to the Philippians, to the Ephesians, all these things. He's listening to that. And when people come by and talk to him about spiritual matters, people are listening to him talk about who this Jesus is. And so every guard that comes by is getting a gospel presentation. You talk about a captive audience. <laughs> that's a captive audience. The guy can't move. And, and Paul is not sitting there whining because he's in that situation. He is embracing it. And he's saying, these are the people that God's brought into my life. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to build a relationship with them, and I'm going to tell them who Jesus is. And some of these made professions of faith. He says, it has been known throughout the whole imperial guard. Now look at the last verse is Philippians 4, 22. As he closes out his letter, he says, and all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. That means right there of Caesar's household. These people that were to protect Caesar, these are the people that were standing there with Paul while he was in jail. They've come to know Christ. They've moved it into Caesar's household. He says, even Caesar's household, people have made decisions for Christ. He built relationships with people that were far away from God. May we do that. May we do that. Hey, this year we did something we've never done before, and that is we did a short film called Out for Delivery. And when we made that film, Out for Delivery, it was not one of your uh, maybe uh, uh, stereotypical Christian films with a, with, a, with a strong presentation of the gospel in it. What we wanted to do was to get that out there and for people to be able to invite friends over to their house or begin to be a, com uh, a conversation starter. So you could take someone who was far away from God and then begin to talk to them. And then as you began to talk to them, you could get into deeper conversations and start talking about, about God. And so it was a strategy that we had, but yet we also had to, with that film to where once a person watched it, we had a, uh, a site that they could go to, click on, and it'd go right to our website. And I did a three-minute gospel presentation to explain what the gospel is and give them an opportunity uh, to be contacted if they so desired. That was the purpose of it. That was our foray into doing this. And it's amazing in that when we did this, we had close to 100,000 viewers Watch out for delivery. Close to over a thousand people went to our website and began to look and see what's going on over here. Hear a gospel presentation. See what's happening there uh, with uh, with our church. Social media. We had twenty thousand uh, contacts going out through social media on this. It's the largest thing we've ever done, and we've gotten more kind of likes and everything else because of what this film was. This, this little short film. 
built some relationships with, with those at all the different uh, TV stations to where they even gave us some free air time and allowed us to air it more times than, than we even thought about it. And we're hearing statements of people coming back saying that lots of conversations have been started because of this. And so then Ethan took that same film and he, and he sent it to a group called like these short film uh, uh, writers. And, and there's a group of, of sort of an eclectic group, not pretty much your church group, uh, that puts all these, um, that puts these short films and judges them and, and they, get, <clears throat> they get hundreds and hundreds of, of people sending them ideas. And their question and what they say is it just needs to be short. We don't want it to be over like 14 minutes. Ethan sent it and they accepted it. And even though it was 27 minutes, and they not only accepted it, but they showed it and they debuted it. And, uh, and, and then after it was done, uh, the man wrote a review on it. The man is a Jew from New York who has no Christianity. And he was so complimentary of the film. And even when you write his review, he says, they didn't do a hard pitch, you know, for the gospel, but you could go and, uh, and, and go to a link and read it. And he included that link. So anybody that reads his review could click the link and get a gospel presentation. And all of a sudden, this film, this link, has gone out to people who would never darken our doors, who would never darken the doors of this church or any church for that matter. And yet, this has got some legs to it. And it all goes back to, am I close to someone far from God? And that's our hope, is that we can put some things out there so that when you find that friend who's far away from God, that you can get close to them and be able to share a gospel presentation with them. And then finally, it's this. I love this one. What am I waiting for? The very last thing is, is what am I waiting for? Um, you know, uh, you're to take the initiative. You're not to wait on somebody else. You just ask yourself the question, what am I waiting for? And then take the steps to make those changes. Do exactly what we've talked about in these measures. Begin that daily time of meeting with God. Take off that mask and get you a, a 2 a.m. friend. Do whatever you need to to make sure that your passport is current. And then get outside that Christian bubble and begin to get friendships with those who are far away from, from God. Get that mindset of put me in, coach, I'm ready to play. What we called it about a year or so ago is what we called the 9-9 principle. That is to embrace the 9-9 principle. And the 9-9 principle is found in Matthew 9-9. And in Matthew 9-9, it says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. You know what the 9-9 principle is? When Jesus says, follow me, what should you do? Get up and follow him. He says, follow me. And Matthew said, okay. He got up and he followed him. You put your yes on the table. And see, what my hope is, is that this year, we will look at all six of those measures and we get down to where it says, what are you waiting for? We will take our yes and we put it on the table and says, I'm ready. For whatever it is you're calling me to do, my yes is on the table. And I'm tired of waiting. I'm ready to do that. And God, I'm wide open for you. May that be what we do in 2018 and see how God guides us and directs us. Now, I can't think of anything better than to celebrate the Lord's Supper as we close out this first Sunday in 2018. When Paul was writing about all the giving, uh, he comes to the end of it in chapter 9, verse 15 of 2 Corinthians, and he says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And it all circled back to the gift of Jesus. And when we partake of the Lord's Supper, 
It is where we remember what Jesus did for us, but at the same time, it causes us to stop and to do some introspection and say, God, what is it that I need to do for you? What is it that I'm holding on to that I need to release to you? And so in just a moment, as we partake of this Lord's Supper, I pray that each one of us will look at it both ways. Thankful for the incredible gift of grace that God has given us. And on the other hand, a commitment to say, God, 2018 is going to be a year where I want you to have more of me. Now, I'm going to ask our ushers and those that will be participating in, in the elements, if you'll come at this time, and if you will uh, grab these elements and begin to get in your place so we'll get ready to serve. And let me just say to you that as we serve these elements, as we pass them along, make sure you just take the cup and then hold on to it. And as you hold on to it, uh, we're going to have, we're going to be singing. Uh, we'll have some, a song up here where we'll be singing. And I want you to listen to the words and let it worship uh, and speak to your heart. And I want you to be praying to God during this time and allow him to, to get a hold of you. And uh, let it be a real special time as you begin saying, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to meet with you. And um, I'm going to take these moments and I'm going to meet with you in a real special way. So let me lead us uh, in a word of prayer. And after I pray, then we'll begin to pass the elements. Heavenly Father, we thank you for an amazing year that you've given us. But yet, Lord, we thank you even more for an amazing Savior. And are so thankful for what Jesus has done for the cross and what he offers us. And he offers us that incredible gift of grace to come into that relationship with you. During these moments, help us to think about the sacrifice that he made on the cross, the agony, the pain that he did for each one of us so that our sins could be paid and that we could be in a relationship with you. And then at the same time, Lord, convict us of things that we need to release to you that we've been holding on way too long. And may this be truly a year that we are lived since. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.